1: Welcome to another classic replay from the archives of Unbelievable. We hope you enjoy the conversation and do let us know what you think.
2: You can email us at unbelievable at premier.org.uk and leave comments on our Facebook page Premier Unbelievable or tweet us at unbelievableFE. For many more resources to help both believers and sceptics to
1: explore faith, please visit our website premierunbelievable.com Registering there will unlock access to all content on the website, as well as giving you special access through the weekly newsletter to exclusive content such as bonus videos and eBooks. That's premierunbelievable.com. And now, here's today's Unbelievable Classic Replay, hosted by Justin Briley from 2016. So today on the programme, we're asking, does the problem of evil presuppose God. The problem of suffering and evil is of course a common objection to Christianity. How could a good God allow so much suffering if he has the power to change it? Um, well it's a, a question that as uh, Christians and non-Christians have struggled with for millennia. Helping us to think through the issue today from this particular angle that we're addressing it are Josh Parikh and Corey Markham. Corey's been on the programme before. You may remember he joined us for a discussion on intelligent design last year with Jonathan McClatchy. Josh is new to the programme, however. So, Josh, welcome along to Unbelievable. Thanks very much for having me on. It's great to have you. Um, we share a little bit of background, interestingly, because you're uh, an Oxford undergraduate Indeed. studying... PPE, Politics, Philosophy and Economics which That's was, which was a, what I studied at Need. Oxford Great minds think alike <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, who knows? <laughs> What's got you
2: into apologetics as a sort of sideline in your undergraduate career? So I'm particularly interested in philosophy that philosophy has been my major interest academically um, and that I'm also very interested in philosophy of religion there um, and so looking at some of the kind of big thinkers there, people like um, William Lane Craig have been um, very interesting to me um, and Then I also kind of I've grown up in a Christian family and growing up in a Christian family, I became a Christian quite early on, which meant that at school I was confronted with kind of friends who are atheists much earlier on Mm. and meant that I had to kind of wrestle with the big questions, the kind of things like the problem of evil, things like the relationship between science and religion much earlier on than kind of other people, which meant that I um, had to think about these questions Mm. for the Mm. first time. Do do you find that also in
1: the university setting that you're having to confront a lot of people who who are sceptical?
2: absolutely and so um, in fact last night that I was at a Texas Toasty um, where we go around our, um, giving out toasties for free to people and answering is, people's is questions. Is this the Christian union that you're this part of? This is it yeah exactly yeah. Um, that I believe um, certain other people have been members of in the past <laughs> um, and that um, going around answering people's questions seeing what their big questions are seeing if there are questions we've got for them things yeah. like that and so definitely um, lots of big questions to come around that, That's really
1: interesting. One of my big regrets actually doing PPE at was that I didn't I don't know why I didn't but I didn't do the paper on philosophy of religion <laughs> which would have made a lot of sense given what I right. now <laughs> do as a job right um, is that
2: one you you have gone for yourself? so I'm doing that next term. time so, okay. um, that I've kind of done a bit of research before on this and I went to some lectures last term by Brian Leftow, who's um, a reasonably well-known philosopher of religion um, and so yeah I
1: mean I think I didn't appreciate how what an opportunity I had actually while I was at university to sit under the instruction and teaching of, of some of now people I consider amazing philosophers. Obviously right. at the time you're, you're, I was less aware of the standing of some of these people who I could potentially have had teaching me. Um, but it, it's right. an extraordinary opportunity, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And the, I'm, I'm massively lucky that um, kind of the background I've had and being able to be where I am now, but um try to use it the best I can. So. Yeah.
1: Well, it, 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 you you and uh, Corey came to me with this suggestion of, of a show looking Indeed. at the problem of evil and particularly whether it presupposes god in the first place this is the argument you're going to be making correct on, yep. the, on the show today so we'll get to that josh um, Our our guest is Corey markham who joins us by phone from the us of a where he is based um, Corey, thank you for coming back on the program today
3: well, well thanks for having me on the show again i'm happy
1: to be here um cory you you're a contributor to the atheist republic website um, and you're a former christian yourself um you had a journey towards atheism, though. We heard about that last time you joined me on the programme. Um, yes. and, and so we won't tread too much of that ground again. Um, but um, w- kind of where we got to on the programme last time was the problem of suffering, um, which was kind of a little bit of a tangent from the the, the, the issue of intelligent design, which is where we started Indeed. out from. But has has this been a significant issue in your own loss of faith, the, the issue of suffering and evil?
3: Um, in a way, yes. Uh, but it's, it's probably it's important to clarify right off the bat that when we talk about the problem of evil, and Josh and I will get into this in a few moments, no doubt. There's different uh, different angles you can take, mm. and so sort of roughly divided into the theoretical uh, problem of evil, or then you have the existential problem of evil. The theoretical problem of evil would be like the logical problem of evil and evidential uh, argument from evil, the sort of stuff that we're going to get into again in this episode, but. The existential problem of evil is more to do with just the individual, um, as they, has, they deal with suffering and what we might call evil uh, in their life and how that affects mm. their faith and their outlook and whatnot. And so in that way, I mean, absolutely, as I sort of went over in the last episode, one of the contributing factors to my loss of faith and then eventually to becoming an atheist was the experience of suffering and personal loss. Um, not to say that that's, that was the only thing, of course, but that was a huge part of it. Um, and it certainly was a huge part, and, and initially, to at least get me start questioning uh, God and, and some of the things that I had taken for granted. So, but yeah, you know, but you know, I kind of I lost my faith, and then I, I it was interesting because I wasn't really all that interested in religion when I was religious. It was really more so after the fact. Um, a few years after having lost my faith, becoming an atheist, I, I just sort of realized that I was really fascinated with uh, the, you know the topics and philosophy and religious studies and, yeah. and whatnot. So. Yeah, so I went and earned my bachelor's degree in philosophy and religion, and now I'm just, I'm in sort of limbo waiting to get into graduate programs here when I start applying in the next couple of years. So, right, so yeah. okay,
1: so, so you may continue going down that academic route for a little while at least. Um,
3: Hopefully, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> well, well I, I'm really pleased to have two young men joining me who obviously... Sit on different sides of the faith divide, but are going to be, I'm sure, having an interesting conversation. You guys already know each other. I think we should say we that do. from we the do. outset. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Josh
3: uh, is very, very, very nice gentleman. And Corey <laughs> is a lovely guy too. So, return <laughs> so the compliments.
1: it's all roses already. But um, we, yeah. um, if you, I will um, post up some links to where you guys c- more can be found out about you both and what you do with today's program. If you want to listen back to today's show, um, send it on to someone else premierchristianradio.com slash unbelievable is the website address if you want to feed me back your uh, comments on today's programme do email in unbelievable at Premier.org.uk, and uh, I'd be delighted to hear your feedback we'll read out some of the last uh, set of comments from the last few weeks of programming uh, towards the end of today's show uh, you can find us online as well on the social media sites at unbelievablejb for the twitter facebook.com slash unbelievablejb to become a fan of the facebook page and find out what's going on that way all the links and more as ever available from the website uh, let's get into today's discussion unbelievable with justin Brierly. well we're talking about the problem of evil on unbelievable today and does the problem of evil presuppose God? Well, probably what we should first of all do is hear the problem of evil outlined. And probably you're the best man to do that at this point, Corey. So do you want to just spell out how you would put the problem of evil to
3: someone? Sure. So as I said, you know, there's the, the sort of existential problem of evil, which just has to do with the individual and how they deal with the problem of suffering and their life and the world in general. Um, but then there's the more theoretical dimension of this discussion. And um, so roughly roughly speaking, this is split up into the logical uh, argument from evil uh, or the evidential argument from evil. Um, but I think probably the most uh, famous or infamous example of the logical problem of evil comes from J.L. Mackey. And essentially what, what he argued is that the the following two statements were logically incompatible with one another. So the first statement is that God exists, and the second statement that evil exists. Um, now, he unloaded a bit more, of course, by sort of qualifying it and saying the reason that is the case, because a you know an omnipotent being would have the power to stop evil, an uh, omniscient being would have the knowledge of evil when it was going to happen, and an omnibenevolent being would have the inclination or desire to stop it, and so would stop it. Um for many different reasons, the logical problem of evil, uh, has sort of gone by the wayside. I mean, not that, not that there aren't atheistic philosophers that still use it. But in a large part, the discussion has moved more towards the evidential version. um... and essentially, it's just, it's, you can frame it almost the, precisely the same way. The idea here, though, is that we're not talking simply about logical incompatibility or inconsistency. We're saying, what is more likely the case that there is a God or that there is not a God given the suffering that we experience? And, um, so I, I think it helps to really get more because we can, it's, we can get too academic and zoomed out about this stuff. And mm. I think it's important to get into the details so at least a little bit here. And so, you know, I I won't go on too much, but let me just list a couple like more graphic illustrations of what I, you know, what I take and would point at as the problem of suffering. And so, um, let's I think it was back. I think, I believe it was in 2004 or so, we had the Indian Ocean tsunami, right? Mm. Um, and so, so try thinking about the problem like this. To believe in God, you have to believe that God knew in advance that this ocean tsunami, that this, uh, this Indian Ocean tsunami, uh, which 200,000 people was going to happen and nevertheless stood or floated or whatever nearby without so much as lifting a metaphorical finger, metaphorical finger to prevent it. Uh, some people in the tragedy were taken and dragged out to sea and drowned. Others were smashed or you know, torn apart like rag dolls between cars, trees, or any of the other countless hard objects. Um, you, some of these people were suddenly drowned within their homes. So just imagine that for a second, guys. Like one moment you're sitting in your living room or in that studio um, with your family and friends, and then all of a sudden your house is flooded and you're all drowning to death. Uh in nearly a third of the bodies recovered in this in the aftermath of this tsunami were children too, which is particularly horrible and they think this is probably the result of children just not having the the, you know, the required strength to fight off the waters, right? Mm-hmm. And, um and so some you know, just I again I I I hesitate. I don't want to just, you know, rub anyone's face in it too much. Um because on some level it gets to the point where I'm um uh, perhaps just appealing to your emotions. But again I wanted to at least le- Give a like a, some sort of graphic, specific example of what we're talking about, because I fear when we get when we get too academic about it, we just sort of lose sight on, yeah, on the reality yeah. of the suffering And the world. and you you so, gave
1: uh, similarly at the end of the last show, we did uh, a, a graphic example of a sort of skin condition uh, that that can leave someone yeah. you know really really in a horrible state, and and the. Uh, and, and I think it is important, however uncomfortable it is to hear, to, to be confronted with. Yes. The, these are the harsh realities of the world we live in. These are the um, dreadful natural disasters that occur. These are the congenital conditions that people can be born with. Um, so many things which in many ways do seem beyond the, the, the sort of typical defense of free will, um, you know, that, yeah. that uh, well, yep. you know, if, if if you're suffering because someone... Robbed your house, you know well you could say well that, that to override that person 's free you know the robber 's free will um, goes against the the principle of, of freedom and and so we have to understand that these kinds of things are part of living in a free world but uh, this, but then it 's harder to make that same justification for something like a tsunami uh, uh, now yeah um, that's right so you 've spelled out the problem very very succinctly there and, and uh, graphically th- that why why did God not lift a metaphorical finger as you say? In light of the terrible suffering and death that occurred in the tsunami, Um, one of the hardest Christians, I think, that uh, questions that Christians face. Josh, I'm sure you'd agree.
2: I completely agree, and I want to absolutely affirm with Corey that we need to be careful not to make this just an abstract issue that um, doesn't affect our emotions at all. Um, That we need to be careful to make sure that this is about real people. This is about real life events, rather than um, kind of armchair discussions. Yeah. Um, that i think partly because of that i'm more convinced that evil is um a reality and so there's a fascinating book by Romeo Dallaire where he called shake hands with the devil which he t- he was um the un peacekeeper for the Rwandan genocide and he um saw some of the most horrific evil um that you can ever think of and that while seeing this horrific evil he um, is asked at the beginning of the book because he's a Christian and is asked at the beginning of this book that why do you believe in a God when you've seen such horrific mm, evil and mm. he says at the beginning of this book that I believe in a God because in Rwanda I shook hands with the devil and I'm not um, appealing to some sort of spiritual being there That um, although I would believe in that, what I'm saying is the very reality of evil seems to point to the fact that there really is a God.
1: Just unpack that for a them, because I think this is where we're going to be first at least in this programme um, uh, talking about this subject we've, we've asked the question does the problem of evil presuppose God now most people would say it's the biggest thing that counts against God it's, it's the biggest objection to the existence of God as, as Corey has sort of shown there so what just give us how you would then actually say actually the problem of evil presupposes the existence of God
2: Right, yeah, and it sounds, its kind of seems like I'm being slightly counterintuitive with that. Um, but what I'd say is that when we talk about the problem of evil, we are making certain moral judgments, um, saying we know what evil is, saying we know what God's character would be, and that if God is a good God, what he would then prevent. Um, I think that moral knowledge would be incompatible or at least very, very improbable with, um, if atheism is true. Um, I think that there are, that, um, this is, um, kind of a, a line of argument that which is famously put forward by C. S. Lewis that um he says that um I, got, I have an idea of um injustice but where did my idea of injustice come from that a man cannot cannot call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line and that I think um the idea of moral facts don't fit particularly well with an atheistic worldview. Um, the fact that they are prescriptive rather than descriptive, that they are saying what ought to be rather than what is, is very strange in a world where everything else seems to be descriptive. Every, every other fact seems to be descriptive. That doesn't make a lot of sense with an mm. atheistic worldview. Mm. I'd also say that moral knowledge itself is very difficult to um, um, justify on an atheistic worldview um, that it seems that as a result of our ev- the evolutionary process that our basic moral orientation is evolutionary determined, that beliefs like suffering is bad and death is bad and socialising and family is good um, but if the evolutionary process is radically contingent as evolutionary naturalism or some sort of atheism with evolution would be, then this would mean that we could have had plenty of other moral orientations and mm. so for example Charles Darwin says that if men were reared under precisely the same conditions as high fees, there could be hardly a doubt that our unmarried females would think it a sacred duty to kill their brothers. And um, lots of other different moral orientations. So so if if morality
1: is simply a product of our evolutionary environment, then then there's no sort of prescriptive morality. There is no objective morality. And and this point you make that... um, it, it, how can we speak, as C.S. As Lewis said, of good and evil if there is no nothing out there by which to judge something good or evil? Right. Um, so, so this is, at, I guess, at the heart of this this reason why you believe the problem of evil does presuppose God. You don't. Correct. You can't speak of evil without believing there is someone who delineates evil and and good
2: yeah and i'd want to slightly clarify that that it's not the second argument is not necessarily saying that moral facts don't exist i think the kind of first argument would be that moral facts don't exist the second is to say that even if moral facts did exist and the fact that our moral beliefs seem to be a product of our evolutionary process and that means that we couldn't even know that moral facts what the moral moral facts would be um Mm. even if um there were moral facts out there and so yes. exactly that's kind yeah. of the, the idea that we know what is evil and we know what a good god would do seems to me to be something that is unjustified on an atheistic worldview right
1: so there's kind of two angles from which you would question cory's correct um confidence in the the problem of evil and suffering um cory what what how, how do you begin to respond to this particular way then of, of looking at the problem of evil
3: yeah, well, so I think there's a couple kind of preliminary remarks I would want to make before sort of launching in my, my direct response to that. Um, so the first would be, uh, so much of this is inspired from a paper that Josh actually wrote and then I'm actually working on a paper in response. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where a lot of this is coming from, but I think an important thing right off the bat is to note that um, there's a difference between atheism and naturalism. And now, I, I, this is this may be counterintuitive at first, but maybe I could just put it like this. I think that atheism does follow, uh, necessarily, from naturalism. So in other words, you know, if naturalism is true, then there is no supernatural, and therefore atheism is true, there's no gods, right? Um, but I don't think it works the other way around. So I don't think that naturalism necessarily follows from atheism. And I say that because I think a lot of the, at least part of the critique here, is, is probably better launched at. Um, just a strict naturalist. Uh, in other words, I, I, as an atheist, I'm not necessarily beholden to just naturalism, and so um, you know.
1: So, are you saying that an, an atheist who doesn't believe in God could still believe in some kind of supernatural things, i.e. Technic-
3: technically, uh, yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: But Platonic and, ideals, uh, for instance, might might come into yeah. That. Yeah, I, I think this was the exactly. line that, that that Stephen Law argued against William Lane Craig back in the debate I hosted between them in 2011. He he didn't want to let go of objective moral facts. Um, yeah, as, uh, yeah, and he said, "Well, uh, I'd only really have to do that if I was fully committed to a kind of strict naturalism." Um, and and you seem to be making the same kind of argument there. Corey.
3: Well, well, exactly, and and more, and, and more, a lot of this has to do with just. I'm not entirely sure what naturalism, as opposed to supernaturalism, what those words even mean. It's not clear to me. I've never really been given all that great of definition. They kind of just define and contrast one another, but, you know, as to what they are specifically, it's it's hard to really tease that out. Um, And so as a a young, budding philosopher, I, I... I'm skeptical of that, of that sort of thing in general. Um, and I don't want to box myself in, I should also say. But no, I, so I say that, and that sort of leads into the point that you, were, that you just sort of suggested that if it was Stephen mm-hmm. Wall. Um, and I think there's, uh, to rest this discussion, after I make this quick point, I'm more than happy to just sort of adopt a moral, non-realist, or nihilist, uh, nihilist position, so we can have have this Specific mm-hmm. discussion, but I don't concede as an atheist that um, that atheism entails moral nihilism or non-realism. And it's worth noting too, not to simply appeal to authority, but to give the proper context that you know the majority of contemporary philosophers also don't concede that. Um, by my, the last time I saw uh, like a relevant survey of this issue, most of the uh, most philosophers have a, an atheistic view. I, it was somewhere around sixty to seventy percent but also most of um, philosophers have a moral realist position, and so that yeah. clearly okay. shows that they're... Well, what... but, I mean, for what it's worth, I, you know, again, that doesn't mean that they're right or something like yeah. that. It's just worth yeah. noting that this is a common point that's launched in, in these sort of debates and in more uh, public debates, yeah. but it's not really an argument that's taken all that seriously in moral it, philosophy. It, it, d- it, depends,
1: it depends. I mean, I, I think you're probably right, and, uh, Josh, I don't know if you, this is your experience, that when it comes to philosophy atheists tend to be less willing to commit full-bloodedly to naturalism you tend to find that more with a scientific atheist like Richard Dawkins Lawrence Krauss who seem quite happy to commit themselves to, to a kind of very strict naturalism
2: Yeah, I think that there is one of the interesting things that Corey brought up was the idea of what is naturalism, um, that this is a big debate, um, that some people talk about metaphysical naturalism, which basically means um, that the natural world is all there is. I think the best way of characterising naturalism is how Michael Rea characterises it, which says that the best way. Uh, finding out facts about the external world is through science and that scientific uh, methods are the best way of finding out facts um, I think Corey's brought up a, a couple of points there that one um, I agree that atheism doesn't entail um, moral non-realism but um, what I would say is that Um, what I'm presenting is similarly is to Corey's presented, the logical problem of evil versus Mm. the evidential problem of evil, that I think I'd appeal to a logical problem of moral realism versus an evidential problem of moral Mm. realism, and as I see it, I think the evidence shows that it's improbable that um, we could have moral knowledge if naturalism, or atheism for that matter, is true.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, what's your take on this Corey? Do you think that that, that to, to speak of evil in the first place does mean you have to appeal to some kind of moral realism uh, in order to, to justify that statement?
3: Um, I, I don't. And so that sort of gets us right into where we want to be because um, interestingly enough, like this, this, again, this is a question that has, has, has come up many times and came up specifically in the, in the law, uh, the William Lane Craig debate that you, that you mentioned. Um, and I would, would more or less Take the two objections that Stephen Wall uh, proposed in that discussion, and, and use those. And interestingly, that those were the two objections that uh, Josh dealt with in his paper, where, where he gets into this. He the two you know most likely uh, responses that, that an atheist would have in response to Josh's argument. And so the first would be essentially as counter counterintuitive as it is, and a lot of this is counterintuitive, apparently. Um, I think you can run the problem of evil without actually using or making use of the concept of evil. And so the idea here is that you would essentially run a problem of gratuitous suffering. And gratuitous suffering just here refers to the experience of unnecessary physical or mental pain slash discomfort. And therefore needn't refer to the sort of nebulous, um, almost supernaturalist, religious-minded notions of evil. So in other words, I, I think we could sort of, we could dumb it down, if you will, and not actually appeal to these mm. abstract notions yeah. of good and evil so, so sim- um, in sim- such a way that gets, yeah. gets around that. Ma-
1: maybe the, 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 the term evil is, is, uh, is a bit of a red herring in that sense, is, mm. It would be the argument there. And, and we'd li- we're really just talking about suffering, pain, you know, uh, really, uh, and that where it yeah. seems gratuitous, i.e. unjustified yeah. for any greater purpose... Um, then we are uh, justified to say that that th- this is is not in keeping with what we would expect of a god of of love and so on. L- loads of stuff to unpack there, and we'll do that on the other half of a quick break. Um, we're going to okay. a quick 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 break now, and uh, and we'll be back with my guests today on Unbelievable, Josh Pareek and Corey Markham. Josh is our Christian in studio with me. Corey, our atheist, on the line from the U.S. And we're debating uh, whether the problem of evil presupposes God. It's it's a question that uh, always comes around, has never gone away the problem of suffering and evil. And we're going to see what Josh has to say in response to Corey there in the next section of today's programme. I'm Justin Browley, your host for the programme that aims to get you thinking unbelievable.
0: Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I've got a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time. And some of Tom's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection, and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand-new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection, and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask N.T. Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus's Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. That's premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. Thank you. You're listening to Unbelievable on Premier Christian Radio.
1: Welcome back to today's programme. I'm Justin Brawley, your host for Unbelievable, and uh, we're going to be continuing our discussion in a moment's time on the problem of evil and whether it actually presupposes God. Josh and Corey join me. On the programme today to talk about that. If you want to find out more about Unbelievable and specifically Unbelievable, the conference 2016, uh, do check out the website premierchristianradio.com slash Unbelievable! Uh, I mentioned we're going to be hearing some of your feedback later on in the program. We've had some interesting debates recently, sp- especially last week's. Loads of uh, loads of feedback on whether Muslims and Christians worship the same God. Nabil Qureshi and Joseph Cumming were my guests last week for that. So listen out for for that uh, a little bit later on. Uh, if you can stay on after Unbelievable between four and five, uh, you can hear me talking to George Osborne. Very interesting story. Um, uh, If you're an atheist, I'm not sure what you'd make of it, actually. But he uh, had what he would call demonic possession. He was um, in the grip of demons, and uh, he believes Christ set him free from that. We're going to be hearing his really interesting story between 4 and 5 this afternoon. So if you can hang around, uh, that's who you'll be hearing this Saturday afternoon. Uh, Right now, uh, back into the discussion as we ask, uh, does the problem of evil presuppose God? So uh, Josh Parikh is an Oxford undergraduate with uh, an interest in apologetics. Uh, it Reminds me a little bit of myself at your age, Josh, um, <laughs> because I, I developed an apologetics at around the same time at university. Um, Corey Markham has developed himself an interest in apologetics, or you could call it counter-apologetics as an atheist. Um, and uh, he's our other guest on the line from the States. And um, we got to the point um, there of, of Corey coming back to say, uh, okay... We don't need to necessarily use the term evil, Josh. If that's a problem, if that seems to suggest that we're talking about some moral realism world, which we need God to justify, let's just talk about suffering. Let's just talk about gratuitous pain um, and that kind of thing. Do do we need to involve these slightly uh, metaphysical notions of, of evil and good and so on?
2: So what's your response to that? Um, So my response would be to this idea that I still think that um, by using suffering, we are still presupposing that suffering would be something that God would want to prevent. Um, If there is no moral knowledge, um, then that's a problem um, because there are lots of things that um, exist. So, for example, trees exist paper paperclips exist and so why wouldn't it be the case that God would want to prevent the existence of paperclips and so Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. reason that we say that God would want to prevent the existence of um, suffering rather than rocks or trees or paperclips is because we think that suffering is bad and we think that suffering is something that God would want to prevent. As a result I don't think this um, response to kind of rephrase the problem of evil in this way really works. Um, uh, okay, so it's it's a semantic thing for you. At the end exactly. of the day, if if you're still
1: concerned about yes. suffering, if it's still a problem in some right. way, it's got a moral dimension. You just can't get That's away right. from that. I think so. Uh, what what's your take on that, uh, Corey?
3: Well, it's it's interesting because I I like to call this the semantic objection, <laughs> but I don't I don't mean semantic in, in a negative connotation. I just mean that it is a matter of clarifying terms here. But yeah, I think first of all, let me say that I I was impressed by Josh uh... by his his arguments here. Um, My before having met Josh and getting into what he has specifically said on these issues, I sort of thought this was a non-starter. This is a a really silly issue, Mm. and it was. I just sort of was just like, "Come on, theist! You know, (laughs) like you're not even. Is anybody going to let us run the problem of evil without? It reminds me of like the transcendental argument where some (laughs) theists will take that line, you know, that oh well, you can't even use logic without Mm. presupposing God, and Mm. it's just like, Mm. okay, well then let's just not discuss uh, anything anymore because, but. Um, so I, I, I it, seems, it seems to me that we don't really need to know that gratuitous suffering is bad, um, or in other words, we don't really need moral knowledge to see why uh, the sort of God that we're talking about would seek to avoid it. And so, um, maybe, if we could just qualify, maybe i just talk about a loving God, okay? So it just seems to me that the, the concept, um, though the concept of a loving God can have moral implications, it doesn't necessarily have moral implications. And so I would argue that it just it seems to follow from the very idea of a loving, let alone a perfectly loving, mind you, God, uh, irrespective of the existence or non-existence of moral facts, that such a God would seek to avoid gratuitous suffering for his creatures whenever possible. I mean, it's just his inclination to do so, I would say, follows merely from the fact of his loving nature. It, I mean, if I love my child, for instance, I don't have a child yet, but I will see her soon. Um, I would want to protect my child from gratuitous suffering whenever I could, and my reasoning for doing so um, may simply be that I love my child, and and so hence it, it, it's neither here nor there if my doing so or if my love for the child. But, in the first but is, place isn't the is, is point that, or that,
1: that if you failed to protect your child, yeah, um, consciously failed to protect your child from suffering, you would be a bad person. You would be evil. You would have done something wrong. Isn't that the point Josh is making, that you can't get away from, at some point down the line, the problem of uh, there, there is a moral issue at stake?
3: Well, so um, it, that's a perfect segue into this, my second objection. And what I was was going to say initially is that the first objection sort of spills over into the second one in precisely the way you'd you used to describe. So, uh, but again, I want to stress this one more time. Just I think that... If there to to reject my line of reasoning, it seems right? you have to reject the following premise. So if there exists a loving being capable of shielding its conscious creatures from unnecessary suffering, such a being would seek to do to do so. That's all I'm trying to say here now uh, but more importantly, yeah, I think uh, now, the second aspect of this is what's called the um, problem of evil is what's called a, a, an internal critique, okay. And so the basic idea here is that what we're doing when we run the problem of evil is we're pointing towards um, certain inconsistencies within the theistic paradigm in order to demonstrate logical inconsistency and incompatibility within that view. And so it's sort of like I'm standing to the side, from the outside, pointing in at certain things within the theistic view. And so if if it is the case that um, a theist, uh, has any reason to believe that their God would seek to avoid uh, unnecessary suffering, right? Then that that seems to me all that we need to have this problem to, for it to, to go through. And so I could be a nihilist, morally speaking. I could be a realist like Sam Harris or Shelley Kagan or, or Eric Willenberg or I could be a subjectivist and a motivist. It really doesn't matter so far that I'm just pointing towards certain things within the theistic view that I, that I take uh, or yeah.
2: to be uh, in- internally inconsistent in that sense. Okay, um, Josh, lots lots to, to unpack there again. <laughs> lots to unpack there. Um, I, I would agree with Justin in that I still think you're smuggling in some moral assumptions there about what, so the idea that um, for example that a loving God would prevent the suffering of conscious creatures, I, I still believe that involves some moral knowledge that suffering would be bad. Why wouldn't it be the case that um, a loving God would want to maximise the number of paperclips, for example, that um, it that it requires moral knowledge, as I see it? And, and do doesn't so, the whole argument hinge for me, uh, just to get this clear, that, that
1: there's there's two moral issues at stake. There's there's the question of the suffering being morally evil, but also yeah. that God is wrong, morally wrong, Correct. to not intervene in the suffering. Exactly. So, so
2: with, there's a moral question at stake somewhere yeah no it? i agree with that and i think that that's um I, th- I think that's the weaker of the two um positions on it um a more interesting one is the kind of second thing i think that Corey's brought up which is the idea of it being an internal critique um i think i'd want to make a distinction between theism and christian theism and that we can talk about christian theism afterwards but um, particularly on theism um what i want to say there is that you if there is no moral knowledge, then if you're saying that naturalism or atheism, that whichever, if you're saying that atheism is true, then you're then positing what the world would be like and what would be moral if, if God did exist. And I think that's, if moral knowledge itself is difficult to have, then I think knowledge of what would be moral in another, what's called a possible world, um, knowledge of what would be the case there, I think is even more difficult to find. So on so world. the
1: atheist making the case that your, your Christianity is inconsistent because you if this God existed, right. he would have to act like this. You're saying yeah. the atheist is is taking on a great deal to claim yeah. to know how this God should exist if such a God
2: existed. Exactly. And what would be wrong, and kind of what the suffering would be wrong over the kind of um, anything else, and so yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, do, do you? Uh, how much of that do you take on board, Corey? That that you know we're, you're in a limited position to um, to say how a, a loving God should and would act if if a loving God did exist.
3: Well, there's an interesting distinction there between would and should, right? And so I'm not necessarily going say, necessarily say that God should, or the hypothetically God should act in this way, that he is obligated in some sense, and part, partly because I don't think that all theists even agree that God has any moral obligations. Some, like Craig, for instance, would argue that he doesn't. And so he has no obligations whatsoever, and so this doesn't work in that sense. But I still think that and for many theists, intuitively at least, it, it, there does seem to be... so maybe look at it like this. I, imagine that atheism is true and that there is no God. Um, it seems to me that there can still be what we call love in the world. And so far, we're talking about beings like us, right? Sort of the regard that we feel towards other people. And so we can, we can make sense of the concept of love in that context and, and the idea being that if you love someone, then you would seek to avoid any sort of unnecessary suffering for that person. I just don't... I mean, I think that there is a moral dimension to that, or there can be, but I don't think there has to be. I think that we can just make that basic, intuitive point um and, and again, if you don't agree with that, um so perhaps getting into the more specific theism, uh, Christian theism as opposed to just theism, well then that's fine, you know, then this doesn't work. But so this, this specifically is just pointing to those people that would, that grant, uh, that grant that point though. You know, that, that simple idea, and, and if you do, then there does seem to be a problem here. And we don't have to necessarily get into the mm. more... Now, I'll, just real quick, there's also mm. something, I, it's interesting because I, as I said, I was I was a bit at first was impressed with some of some of Josh's lines of reasoning here, um, and certainly more so than my normal uh, you know exposure to this argument. But there was a couple things that that he in his uh, in his paper and in sort of he sort of piece out there in his response there that kind of raised other problems for me. And so one of the problems is, and maybe Josh, I can just ask you directly. Would you, at some point in your paper, when I was when I was going through it, you seem to suggest that perhaps, um, and this is going to take us a bit off the specific topic for a moment, but you seem to suggest at one point that perhaps moral truths are necessary truths, so like logical truths, something like that is that was that right? Was, is that fair? Would you would you say that, or was that misreading you?
2: No, I think that's right. That I would say that um, moral truths are necessary truths. Um, that yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see where you go here. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs>
3: Yeah, well, I guess it seems to me that if you, if you grant that moral truths are necessary truths, then moral truths exist regardless of whether or not God exists. So they're not contingent. They're not contingent about anything, not upon God or anything else. But if that's the case, then I, you know, then again, sort of skirting the immediate issue that we're getting into here, I don't see why an atheist can't have you know right. moral it, it's, it's a form stuff. of
1: Euthyphro's eutroph- dilemma, um, which which is essentially well, if if moral um, facts exist in regardless, independent of God, then we just why you know we don't need God. We just. Need the moral fact, I suppose, but. Then yeah.
3: I, I know that's a tangent, but I just real quick. Well, I no, it's kind of it's, it's a common
1: mean. response to okay. the issue of the moral argument, and that's part of what we're talking about here okay. with this 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 response to the problem of suffering. So, do you want to do you want to tackle that one? Quickly? Yeah,
2: no, or, no sure. George? I'll tackle that one quickly. That I agree that um ne- that it's a necessary truth that um moral fact that sorry that moral moral facts are necessary truths. Um, but I'd further say that um I'm convinced kind of by a number of factors by what's called the ontological argument and that with what that would mean is that god would be a necessary being and so it's also necessarily true that god exists and that moral facts would then be dependent on god's existence i'm not case, even going to start on the yeah, ontological we, we, won't, argument. we won't even go to the <laughs> ontological argument i didn't want to even go there but what i was what i want to meet what i mean by that is that it's that we can can maybe we can try and conceive of a world where god exists but uh, god does not exist even but that doesn't mean that it's possible that god does not exist and in fact i would say that yeah, it's Im- yeah. that it's impossible that god does not exist um from the kind of yeah. different things in his As nature a, we, we won't go into that no, no, i no, mean it is a bit of a sidetrack but but
1: i do want to come back to this point also that uh, cory made his sense is that we conceive of what a loving God would be, but right. by intuitively from our own experience of love right. and how we would act and feel, it would be just and right to act right. In, in certain c- circumstances to avoid other people who we love suffering. So, so is this not a fair way of simply saying, you know, I, I can have a good stab at what if well, there were a God, okay. he, he would not David,
3: even, not even that it's just, you know, like I there's that over and, uh, above, like over the top. Like aspect to it, where we can justify it and talk about it morally speaking. But even if there isn't any moral, there's nothing. You know, morality is just completely an illusion. Seems to me that the concept, like when we we still love people, and so it still follows from loving people that we would we would act okay. in certain ways. Well, let, let's
2: let's see what Josh has to say. Yeah. No. Sure. I think that um, that this is where the kind of theism versus Christian theism kind of distinction gets in, and that if it's on the kind of loving God stuff, then I think that the theist kind of bare theism doesn't have to say that um, that concept of love is anything to do with it um, and so I don't think it's, it in the end becomes a problem for the bare theist in terms of Christian theism that I would say that Christian theism defines love in a way that doesn't, pre- um, doesn't um, say that suffering won't exist but um, conceives of love um, being compatible with with the world of suffering, a world where God uses good, um, uses um, evil to turn it to good um, that we don't always know the reasons for that, I think we're in a bad position to know some of the reasons for that but um, somewhere like Romans 8 for example talks about um, it, shall we um, say that Christ no longer loves us if we face trial or tribulation or calamity or persecution or death it Says no despite all these things we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us and that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ and so if it, the our intuitive concepts of love um, are helpful, but I would think that sometimes we do think that love can be permitted. Things like where we permit um, a child to hurt themselves so that they can learn more. We can permit um, yeah, we can permit people to have freedom so that they can um, love better and lots of different reasons that we can think of and not think of that are compatible with the idea of a loving God there.
1: I mean, I think Alvin Planting and others have made the argument even that it's possible that the very best world we could live in is, in fact, the world in which Jesus Christ came and died yes. to cover all of the suffering and evil and, yeah. and everything else in the world. And that's that may be a very different concept of what a loving God right. is or should do right. to, to, to to an average atheist, they might say no
2: that 's awful i i can't I can imagine much better worlds than that right right and one of the interesting things that um, come here is that a recent argument that 's been brought up by a guy called Trent Doherty has argued that this would then mean that if this the best possible world um, would require the existence of the kind of sufferings we see, he would say that evil as we see it would provide evidence for the existence of God over um um atheism that so that we can have things like the cross, things are where God can demonstrate his love for us, um even when these kind of evils seem pretty horrendous, that Christ was crucified and kind of tortured and betrayed by friends that ultimately that served such a great good that um we can see that how God can use horrendous evils for good
1: what what's your response to this corey because i'm I'm imagining yeah. you're going to come back with something i don't want to put words in your mouth but but that that this goes back to your point about gratuitous suffering or what yeah. appear, appears to be on the face of it at least uh, unnecessary well, gratuitous suffering.
3: Well there, again there's a lot there so I'll try to There's a, mm. maybe a few points so one would just be that it's also possible that this is the worst world, worst of all worlds. you know like I don't like that I find that argument uh, like hard to take all that seriously and I also imagine like how bad would the world have to be like I can imagine a worse like, whole, the world far worse than it is. And someone could still argue that, well, maybe this is the best of all possible worlds. And I don't think, I don't know where you would draw a line as to when, you know, when you would actually grant that, okay, well, no, this, maybe this isn't the best of all possible worlds. But I, I also think, um... there's a little bit about the theism as opposed to the Christian theism thing. Now, aside, I'm not going to get into this too much because it goes right back into Josh's main argument here, but I think that perfectly loving just follows from perfectly good, omnibenevolent, and so the standard theistic conception of God—omnibenevolent, omnipotent, omniscient—I think loving would be entailed in that. But that's fine. I don't really, I don't really need to, you know, to put much on that. Um, if the theist, the, the general theist, is willing to discard the concept of loving um, or any of the other three, om, you know, omnitrifecta qualities, then, then that's fine, and then the problem of evil works in, insofar so far what it's trying to do, because it's, it's only trying to show. Um, the the logical incompatibility or the you know the unlikelihood of their existing a very specific type of God and it says nothing about any number of other possible gods. I mean, there could be an evil God, there could be a committee yeah. of gods. The the, the problem of evil does
1: it, not does not affect Stephen Law's um, evil God hypothesis. Yeah. Um, uh, sure, but but what it specifically does address is is the, the Christian God who right. who does claim to right, be a God right, a God right. of love who cares and, who yeah and so on.
3: Exactly, and then and so then another point is this goes back to the first um, the first objection that we were dealing with, and Josh uh, has brought up several times, like paper clips, and he talked about this in his paper too. I mean, what's the difference between just rocks and you know chemical stuff happening going on and uh, the suffering of a human being, in, in terms of naturalistic worldview? And again, I don't, I'm not going to necessarily say an naturalist, but let's just say that I am. There, it seems to me that there is a very obvious difference between a rock and a human being, or any any animal, uh, and mainly the difference is that the animal and human being are capable of sentient experience, and, that, and therefore that they're capable of experience uh, subjective pain and suffering. And uh, I mean it in so far that a god would create beings with that capacity, right? I, it seems to me that there would be a difference between just the happenings of rocks and the suffering of his conscious creatures. And so, I, again, it would seem... I, just, I don't see what the problem there is. I, I think there's a very clear difference between uh, uh, you know, living beings yeah. and just other stuff happening in the natural world. Let, let's give so Josh there, a chance to... Even in a naturalistic view, I think these are different categories of things, even if they're made yeah. up of atoms, you know the way they're made up is different.
2: sure well, well, let's give Josh a chance to respond on that issue, you yeah, know i I agree that I'm not arguing that um pain isn't that kind of there are creatures um that I'm not saying that creatures are the same as rocks that that's not what I'm arguing. what I'm arguing is that um the idea that rocks are any less something that God would want to prevent prevent the existence of rather than suffering. That I think again there's kind of this moral assumption um brought in here that I agree that it's different that um sentient kind of there's sentient experience, the kind of suffering, that um Corey's a vegetarian, I'm a vegan, and that um we would um agree that sentient experience is important. But why is sentient experience important? Because it is bad um, why is it but if not natu- or if some sort of atheism is true where we can't have moral knowledge then how can we know that that would be worse than rocks existing or paper existing that that's kind of the idea yeah there. So,
1: so so the point being then is is I guess Josh is trying to push you towards Corey uh, uh, acknowledging simply that um, to, to, to say that pain should be of interest to god over and above any other thing you are automatically smuggling in again this this moral um fact about the matter um why should god regard a physical fact of the world pain in this case neurons firing and producing what we know is obviously a sentient experience but why should he regard that differently to a rock existing I, i guess that's the question what there's a should there, isn't it? God's yeah, should be yeah. doing something, and so so, I feel like we got back to the moral thing again here.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, and again, it, it pushes me back to the, the again the idea of a loving God, like I. I don't grant at least not yet <laughs> that when we when we speak about this this concept of a loving being and what that being would do, I don't think that we are necessarily entering into the moral debate because I think we can make sense of a moral you know apostle state of affairs where morality is illusory and yet we can still um quite reasonably talk about what beings would do if they love but i mean and uh, more importantly, this just goes back to the um the the second point and I didn't get all of his his uh his overall response there, but again i to some to some extent i mean it's say that this it, is true that it is moral knowledge I again mean, i'm I'm just pointing towards certain things within the worldview of theism or of christian theism specifically and so if josh it, it boils down to this i mean if Josh doesn't agree that the sort of God that he believes in um, would prevent gratuitous suffering, well then my problem, and the problem even generalized just is just irrelevant to him. Okay? I, I perfectly grant that. But if he does grant that, and he doesn't have to grant, by the way, that gratuitous suffering exists, because, again, I, I would be more inclined to run an evidential version of the problem of evil rather than a logical version. But insofar that he grants that, within his worldview, that the sort of being that he believes would seek to pre- pre- prevent um Gratuitous suffering, even if it just seems to be the case in this world Well, then the problem of evil as an internal critique still seems to work And so maybe I missed a little bit of what he was saying in response to that But I still haven't heard in my in my ears a good a good rejoinder to that And so I would stake my flag there still
2: Okay, do you want um, to come back Yeah, on that? One of the, I think that I would agree that um, I think within the Christian worldview We have to question, would the Christian God prevent gratuitous suffering? Um, I think that that's a yes. What I would argue that I'm sympathetic to a view called sceptical theism, which says that we're not in a very good position to judge what would be gratuitous suffering. Now there's lots of reasons for that. Within the Christian worldview, things like um what um that sin I would argue affects our cognitive faculties and our ability to recognise what's good, what's bad. Um I would argue that God's very big within the world um Christian worldview that it says in Isaiah fifty five that my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. And so far as the heavens are above the earth are my thoughts above your thoughts, my ways above your ways. And that if God is such a big um, being and there is so much in this world which he can take into account so many values to be working between so many people to think about so many actions to think about and that I'm here with a kind of three pound um, lump of meat between my ears um, that I mean, the, the example I've
1: used very often just to boil it down to, to a much more simplistic level is yeah. when I've spoken about the problem of suffering is I remember when I had um, our third child yeah. and was born with a um, a kind of condition, um, a a bacterial infection which which affected the skin. Um, And, you know, at just a few hours old, I had to watch a doctor um, inject a, a, um, a, insert a catheter into their arm. Um, The baby cried I had to sort of be feeding him sort of a a, a sugar solution to try and keep him calm. And I just wished I could explain to that baby, we don't hate you, you've just come into the world and we're already poking <laughs> needles into you yeah, um, right. and, 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 and I've used that as an example of how you know, we're in the position of the baby when it comes to, to God um, we cannot see the bigger picture no. and I think that's the basic argument you're making here that there are so yeah. many facets that we're simply not in possession of the facts Correct. to know why there may be an ultimate reason for why God would allow even something as dreadful as a tsunami. Is right. that what you're saying? Here? Yeah, and what? I
2: think this is where I kind of try and bring all things within my theology back to the cross and that looking at something like the cross looks pretty horrific and that if I was looking on to um, the crucifixion that I kind of did study a year, many years ago on methods of capital punishment because I was a sick child and that um, having a look at that um, I'm, I struggle to find anything more horrific than the crucifixion as a method of punishment so looking at the way in which Jesus was tortured, the way in which he died um, I think I would look at that and think I can't think of a reason why that took place um, that I just can't explain why mm. there's such horrific suffering there, and yet the Christian worldview says that there was such a good reason for that. Um, that people at the time wouldn't have been able to see that. Um, there are many kind of other examples throughout the Bible. Things like Joseph being sold mm. into slavery. Though as he's sold into slavery, he's not able to see what the reason for that is. And later on, as he's talking to his brothers who sold him into slavery, about to. Um, sold him into slavery that he says to them that y- um, you intended it for evil but God intended it for good and that we're not able to mm. see that but it's it, still a good purpose yeah
1: them. we're going to have to take another break and we'll start to wrap things up in the next section I'm sure Corey will want to respond to to your defence there uh, Josh of why you don't believe we necessarily ever can be justified in calling any evil gratuitous given right. that we are in not in a position to know what God may do Um, but thank you Uh, it's been a really interesting discussion so far hasn't it Um, if you want to get in touch yourself um, respond then uh, I'll be giving out the ways to get in touch uh, in the next part of today's programme my guests Josh Parikh and Corey Markham uh, as we ask does the problem of evil presuppose God on Unbelievable this afternoon Welcome back to the final part of today's Unbelievable, the programme that aims to get you thinking every Saturday afternoon as part of Faith Explored here on Premier Christian Radio and brought to you in association with Premier Christianity magazine if you'd like a free sample copy of the mag premierchristianity.com slash free sample and the latest edition, the March edition features an interview with uh, George Osborne where he talks about his uh, early life in the grip of demonic possession, now I don't know what you think of that but he has an extraordinary story to tell in fact he'll be telling it for me on the profile this afternoon between four and five straight after unbelievable but if you want to read it for yourself in his words uh, it's there at the website of premier christianity magazine PremierChristianity.com add slash free sample to get a free sample copy. Uh, just a reminder that Unbelievable Conference also open for booking now. Uh, Unbelievable Conference 2616. Discover your inner evangelist. Really looking forward to having uh, prolific evangelist Jay John joining us for that to share his wisdom but also people like Gary Habermas, Jeremiah J Johnston. Uh, we're going to be hearing from Ruth Jackson and Tanya Walker and many others as well. We're continuing to book in speakers so uh, look out uh, for further details of more speakers to be released in due course but um, it's going to be a range of topics that we'll be discussing there will be that stream looking specifically at evangelism and how christians can share their faith effectively but there'll be issues around the bible science and faith uh, young people and much more besides so uh, do book in if you can Premier christian slash unbelievable 2016. A little later on we're going to be hearing some of your feedback if you come back next week at the same time we're lining up a programme, I haven't done this in quite a while, on sex outside of marriage. We're going to be asking should Christians save sex for marriage and we'll be meeting someone who says actually they're not sure they should Uh, they're a Christian, Diana E. Anderson but she's written a book on the purity movement in the USA which she came out of herself and uh, is going to be talking about what she believes is the damaging effect that can uh, be wrought upon young people and women in particular in a sort of shame culture well we'll have someone else opposite her uh, to put the more traditional view of marriage and uh, sex from a Christian perspective so look out for that Uh, we're in the process of arranging that uh, on next week's program right now time to get into the final part of today's discussion
0: you're listening to unbelievable on
2: premier christian radio So on
1: today's show we're discussing the problem of evil Uh, Does the problem of evil presuppose God, we've been asking And my guest, Josh Parikh, is saying yes, it does He's a Christian, he's an Oxford undergraduate Uh, He's got a strong interest in apologetics Um, In fact, uh, your interest in apologetics stems to things like uh, The Unbelievable Christian and Skeptic Discussion Group, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, that's correct, um, that I've really enjoyed that in the past I gave a talk a while back there on the resurrection And why I think the resurrection is really well evidenced And is rational and compelling to believe in um, the next kind of unbelievable discussion group is actually taking place on March the 14th um, which is on the problem of evil once again you're not, the, talking on one, I'm not talking on that one I'm um, not talking on that one uh, two others are talking on that I'm sure they'll be very capable of talking about it but I'll make my way along I think and it's uh, uh,
1: if memory serves me right uh, Heather Tomlinson and Francis Janus I that's think, the one that's yeah. the one yeah. uh, so, so they'll be speaking on uh, that issue maybe we'll see you there who maybe. knows who knows <laughs> I may grace you with my presence. No, I mean, in all honesty, this was a, a, an initiative completely separate, started completely separately to me. Just show listeners, Ed Atkinson and others, yep. who wanted to create a forum uh, where people actually got together in right. person to talk about these things, and, and that's great. And it is happening, uh, as you say, Saturday, fourteenth of March, the next one in London. I'll give out the details again a bit later on. So
2: that's Monday, the fourteenth.
1: Monday. The Sorry, did I say Saturday? Yeah, you said Saturday. I said no Saturday. I meant Monday, the fourteenth of <laughs> March. Um, I. I guess you're not flying in for that yourself, Corey, are you, um, on this occasion? No,
3: unfortunately not.
1: (laughs) But uh, Corey's been our other guest. He's an atheist, former Christian. Um, Last time he came on the show, he was talking about intelligent design, having a crack at that. Um, We ended up talking about the problem of suffering, though, and that's what he's been back to talk about. And uh, just to pick up where we left off in that last part, Corey... Effectively, Joshua was making what is a common response to the problem of evil and suffering when it comes to God, which is we don't know the mind of God. You are not in a position to say what is gratuitous suffering when it comes to God. Even something as awful as what you outlined at the top of the show, the, the tsunami that occurred, who knows how in his grand design and purposes God may, in fact, be able to bring greater good out of that than the, than the suffering that was involved. So, so what's your response to this, this common defense against the problem of evil?
3: Sure. Uh, well, let me say, first of all, that I think among the, diff- the different responses, so the, the defenses and theodicies that are usually employed uh, in response to the problem of evil, I do think that skepti- skeptical theism is probably the best response. Uh, not to say that I think it is a good response Uh, per se, Um, but I think it's the best response, and uh, I think there's a few problems though with it, and so the first would be something that you, Justin, you know, again, you've already been exposed to plenty in the Stephen Law and William William Lane Craig debate, Um, a person who believes in uh, you know, all-powerful, all-knowing, perfectly evil God could just as easily and successfully run a sort of skeptical, theistic uh, argument as a sort of um as they say smoke screen if you will yeah. to get to kind it, it, of avoid so it'd be, it would work just as well in that situation and i think most of us grant that you know that wouldn't so, so it could just as easily
1: we, we could look at the same state of the world and say well it just shows that there's a an evil god who and the only reason you experience any joy is just so that the the pain you experience is even <laughs> worse and so on yeah and, yeah, yeah, and logically speaking and, both both could be possible is what you're saying and both,
3: Exactly, and but more importantly, that one could run a skeptical theistic response to that just in precisely the same way, mm. and I don't think that that, you know, it's not all that great of a, of a response. I think most of us would admit that, but but more importantly, because again, I don't believe in an evil god, and that's really just to sort of show how um, the skeptical theistic move can be used both ways, more importantly, I think there's skeptical theism, um, it's, it's sort of very, very radical skepticism, and it seems to me that it's, uh, all it's ad hoc, unless it's applied elsewhere, and so what I mean by that is that if it is the case that something is seemingly, obviously gratuitous um, as, say, the suffering of um, baby bats, say, I'm not sure if you guys, uh, I think Josh and I talked about this, but one of the, one of the more poignant examples of natural suffering and seemingly gratuitous suffering is this, this story that comes from uh, a book, Dialogue on Good, Evil, and the Existence of God by John Perry. And essentially it's this, it's a really good book I would recommend to anyone who's interested in these issues. And it's written in, in like a, in the form of, the uh, format of like a dialogue, almost like the Platonic dialogue. But essentially the characters are, are talking about these issues. And at one point the, the character the, that would sort of stand in as for me, the, the atheist character and sure enough it's like it's a g- very grumpy <laughs> uh <laughs> naked person that's sort of perfectly appropriate. Um, but they, she talks about I believe she there's there's this particularly horrible instance of suffering where in caves um, all around the world where where bats take up residence often they're there for a long very long period of time and what happens is you get layers and layers of excrement of bat guan or feces built up underneath all the cats, or the cats. Excuse me, I looked at my camera when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> um, the bats, uh-huh. uh, because the bats are perched on the ceiling, and so every once in a while what happens is one of these little baby bats will fall from their perch on the ceiling, and in falling, they'll end up breaking one of their wings. And what happens at that point, uh, as you can imagine, is the baby bat basically suffers a horrible death, where it's slowly asphyxiating from... All the fumes and all the the feces, and and then usually what then happens is all the little creepy crawlers that live down in uh, amidst the back lawn. they scurry forth and they basically eat the bat alive. Mm. Now, beyond the issue of whether or not the bat experiences suffering, because I'll grant that maybe there's an issue there, uh, this is just a, just one little example we can point to. And what the skeptical theist has to say is that they have to be extremely skeptical and say that well, perhaps there's a reason for that. And I think if that is the case, if we have to be that skeptical about something as seemingly obviously gratuitous as that, well, then I don't know how we can have any sort of, any of the sort of knowledge that is normally claimed uh, in regard to God, whether that just be knowledge about the existence of God, or, or more specifically, you know, germane to what we've been talking about this whole time, moral knowledge. Okay. And so, in other words, mm. if, if, if we take the skeptical theist route, I don't even know how Josh can even talk about his moral intuitions in the first place so the, the very issue he was pointing at for the Atheist seems to arise for, for the Skeptical Theists, because okay. how do we really know that something is evil? Yeah. It, it just seems evil. I mean, whether we're talking about the Holocaust, mm. or the tsunami, or the suffering of baby bats, or whether we're talking about um, the children that, I mean, like every few seconds a child dies from, you know, starvation or, or you know, some preventable disease or illness, that all of that... Yeah. I, well, let's let's, we let's we toss know it know let's toss anything, toss anything it back people, to Josh. You know?
1: Let let's toss it back to Josh and see what he has to say.
2: Yeah, I think that the anti god, uh, so evil god, as um, Stephen Law puts it, that my lecture last year, Peter Millikan, talks about an anti god, which I kind of I think is more helpful vocab for me. Um, that I would want to be careful to kind of how I phrase skeptical theism. So I kind of was quite careful there to kind of quote the Bible on this and the, what I would talk about is a positive sceptical theism rather than a negative sceptical theism that I'm not standing here saying oh we can't know anything and therefore and we can't know this. That what I'm saying is that in light of the biblical revelation we can know uh, a number of things. That one of those things is that God exists and we can know that God is love. We can also know that God is um, to some it is um, his thoughts are above our thoughts, his ways are above our ways. Um, We can also know that um, the, the law is written on our hearts. We can know a number of different things and this would allow us to know all the things that Corey um, says that I can't know so this would allow me to know what moral facts would be this would allow me to know that God is good, this would allow me to know that um, kind of all these uh, things have happened and so the question would then be what justification do you have for believing the Bible and that I would point to the resurrection, I think there is enormously good evidence for the resurrection that the habitual truthfulness of the Gospels, the persecution of the disciples the empty tomb, the number and very Variation of the appearances. All I think, point in one direction, and that direction is the resurrection for me.
1: Yeah, I mean that that takes us down again a whole nother route. Yeah, we already did that with uh, with your tutor Peter Milligan actually yeah, uh, last yeah, year. I, but, <laughs> um, I, I okay. I mean, in the end, then um, for, for you, the, the the bat example that that uh, you know Corey brought there. Would you say yes? Maybe even for the, for the baby bat who dies, you know, in guano eaten alive by right. bugs. Even that, there may be a reason for. Yeah,
2: and that, that's and again, that um, I kind of it's the centre of the Christian worldview, I think, is to come back to the cross. Because looking at the cross, there is death there. It doesn't seem particularly redeemable. It seems enormously painful. There doesn't seem to be any good reason for it. Hmm. And we're just not in a good epistemic position to judge that. Um, That um, I don't want to say that we could... Um, that I don't want to say that God could allow gratuitous evil, and there could never be a world where there's so much gratuitous uh, um, suffering um, that God couldn't exist. But I just don't think we're in a good position to judge what a gratuitous su- gratuitous suffering would look like because of the way we are.
1: I mean, this is taken us some way from the the original question of of right. whether the problem of evil does presuppose God, and um, and and if we're coming back to that, that that's where you start with yes. this argument, isn't it, Josh? That that if you're gonna have, if you're gonna talk about an injustice. Yeah. evil wrong you, you've got to have something to ground that and 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 yeah. and, and obviously we, we we had that discussion earlier on in the, in the program there Corey for that um Corey yeah. do, do, I mean as we start to wrap things up then I mean where, where 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 do you feel do you feel like having had this interaction with Josh both today and obviously in the papers you've exchanged and things that uh, you're any more um pers- possibly persuaded by um defenses against the problem of of evil or, no, or less.
3: <laughs> no, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I wouldn't say that I'm less. I, I mean, as I said, I think Josh is uh, a brilliant young philosopher, and I'm excited to see what he does. Um, and I think, I, as I said, I think his take on this is, is a breath of fresh air in terms of what you know, what's interesting is, is I think, like I, I keep going back to that debate between Law and Craig. I, at one point, I think Craig concedes the point that I'm making that Law made essentially that, one can run the problem of evil without this sort of issue popping up, and I, I wonder if uh, William Craig would change his his, his stance on that <laughs> upon reading Josh's paper. But I think maybe, Josh would yeah. send him his paper, and then maybe yeah, that would be uh, just a, a great uh, uh, trophy, if you will, for Josh to hold around. <laughs> hey, I <laughs> changed William <laughs> Craig's mind. Uh, but you I improved guess, so on a William Lane Craig that. argument. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it, I just it, it kind of one thing that this this really stress I want to stress is it it just on some level, the problem of evil, uh, the, to the, ex- the extent to which it will be persuasive to you, it very much depends on your view uh, going in. So an atheist who doesn't believe in God, it's very hard for me to look at something like that suffering of the fat, and that's just one example. It's more, it's far more pressing and salient when you consider, th- I mean we can't truly consider, but just try to imagine the extent of suffering that occurs on our planet any given day. Uh, I mean, there are countless animals right now that are being eaten alive. You know, there are countless people that are suffering and starving and dying from diseases. And this is something, this is the case, this has gone back for millions and millions and millions of years, you know, long before humans are ever on the scene. And so this, this sort of suffering that we're talking about and the extent of it, it's, it's hard for me to see there being any sort of reason for that. Sure. But I grant that if I believe in God, then it would be much easier for me to uh, at least see or, or believe that there could be a possible reason for that. And so th- this is, interestingly enough, this is sort of a point that y- you almost seem to see borne out in the literature on this topic. It, it's not like it's just a full-on stalemate and everyone agrees that, you know, mm. it's, we're sort of, I got I got in a tie or a draw, but I mean, you, this is a kind of a point that comes up a lot. And and so, I again, I, I think that skeptical theism, um, he, it was interesting what he said there, because I still think that he he's run. He's going to run into issues in terms of making any sort okay. of uh, moral claim. We
1: have got to draw it to a close. So i uh, just, okay, yeah. just just oh, yeah. just just oh. f- thank you for being with us on the program today, Corey. And uh, yeah, and, well, and, th- thank you for having
3: me on it. And Josh, we should continue this. Sometime. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely.
1: Any, any final thoughts from you, Josh, for us as we close out?
2: Yeah, I think that um, I want to agree with Corey that they just that there is an intuitive thing that we do think that this evil just does seem too much um and that's why i kind of if i don't center things on the cross if i don't center things on that kind of act of gratuitous what seems to be gratuitous evil then i think that it, it could the the problem of evil can sometimes mm. run you slightly mad mm. um and that the fact that god can use something so horrific for good means for me that he could do it again um and uh, I would want to press Corey again I'd always want to press Corey on this is that yes there's all this animal suffering in the world and I agree that's a profound problem um But is that a problem? (laughs) Um, And because that's a problem. Why why
1: is that a problem in the first place is is the big question we've been discussing. Thank you very much, both of you. Been really interesting uh, and uh, two really interesting young philosophers on both sides of the uh, the, the divide joining me today on Unbelievable. Perhaps you've got a view on it. Be interested to hear from you. Unbelievable at premier.org.uk is the... The address to send your emails into. Uh, I will post up some links to both Josh and Corey where you can find out more about them with today's programme. That's at PremierChristianradio.com slash unbelievable. In the meantime, thank you, Josh, and thank you, Corey, for being with me. Unbelievable with Justin Brierly. And don't forget if you want to get in touch via Facebook or Twitter at unbelievable JB, Facebook.com slash. Unbelievable JB. And uh, loads of responses on Facebook and Twitter to last week's programme where we were talking about uh, whether Muslims and Christians worship the same God. Joseph Cummings uh, coming down overall on the point of view that yes, they do worship the same God. Nabil Qureshi, former Muslim himself, arguing no, they do not. Um, uh, just uh, a note here from Summer on Facebook who said just wanted to drop a note to let you know Saturday's debate with Nabil was fantastic. One of the best you've had in a long time. It was cordial, concise, educational, And just plain good. Thank you. I noticed on my Twitter feed, at least, uh, most people were coming out in agreement with Nabil that Muslims and Christians don't worship the same God having said that Joseph Cummings who um, was our other guest posted it up on his Facebook page and uh, lots of people obviously supporting his perspective for that Um, here's some of what came in via email Um, this was from John who said if we worship the same God I question why Jesus said love your enemy and how Muslims kill Christians Uh, number two how do Muslims remove Adam's sin without accepting Jesus Ken Miller in Benfleet, Essex says, Keep it simple, please. The Quran denies the deity of Jesus. The Quran gets the Trinity wrong. The Quran carries extracts from the Bible, which it then falsifies. Muslims believe that the Quran has been inspired by their God, Allah. Christians believe the scripture has been inspired by the God of the Bible. If the Quran and the Bible came from the same spiritual source, it would make that source a deceiver. Therefore, they are from different spiritual sources. And. Um, this uh, one um, from Bruce says, uh, your choice of speaker was very interesting. Joseph Cumming coming from Yale, which was instrumental in replying to the common word with Miroslav Volf, who's a senior member of Yale Divinity School. Well, in fact, um, it was Miroslav Volf who put me in touch with Joseph. Now you mention it, Bruce. Uh, I had initially approached Miroslav for that discussion, but uh, he suggested Joseph would be an admirable person to to put that point of view across. Uh, and anyway, you say, in fact, Volf shares Cumming's view, and this is detailed in his book, "Allah: A Christian Response which I've read, and some as- extracts also from Steve Chalk's latest book on radicalism. And I consider that if you take their position of Muslims and Christians worshipping the same God to its logical conclusion, then they effectively must believe that the angel Gabriel really did speak to Muhammad. This would effectively make them Muslims. For their Christianity to maintain an internal consistency of believing that Muslims and Christians worship the same God, they must believe that God actually did give Muhammad his final revelation – I thought that what Nabil Qureshi said was very succinct and a logical position. He raised both the importance of who and what God is, and also to emphasise the writings in the Quran specifically undermine Christianity, which Cumming didn't seem prepared to address. And uh, Nabil also raised the issue of the big white elephant in the room, which both Muslims and liberally minded Christians are not prepared to address, which is the violent surahs in the Quran that Muhammad received when he moved to Medina. Grace says, I recently got into a discussion with some Muslims at university when I started reading the display boards that they'd put up. Obviously, I had no desire to argue, but hoped that I might encourage them to question their own beliefs further, to question their personal rejection of Jesus. I asked why, for them personally, the many accounts, both inside and outside the Bible, of Jesus claiming to be God and of him dying and rising again seem false, while the Quran, the writing of one individual, seemed credible to them. Uh, They were very keen to tell me that they follow Jesus as a prophet and seemed keen to get across to me that we follow the same God but they wouldn't give very clear answers to my question they said that the science contained in the Quran proved that it was from God and eventually told me that the Muslim explanation for Jesus' apparent death and resurrection was that God supernaturally transposed Jesus' face onto another man so that it appeared that Jesus had been crucified but that he actually wasn't I couldn't get an explanation of what evidence they based that idea on frustratingly several told me that they believe it's because it's what Islam teaches rather than that they'd formed their own conclusions Based on the evidence they'd found, which is what I feel strongly we all ought to do. Uh, The question, do we worship the same God, seems to me to be virtually impossible to answer, mainly because it requires a clear definition of worshipping God, which is a supernatural relationship or communication process that can't be fully captured by our human language. I felt for a while that it's possible that Muhammad was indeed spoken to by Yahweh, but was subsequently led astray by demonic spirits, hence his acts of brutality and his denial of Jesus. How can We know whether the relationship between a person and God is genuine or not. I think it may be possible that some Muslims have some relationship with Yahweh, but they're not accepting a crucial aspect of God's communication with them and a part of him since they reject Christ. Interesting stuff. Thank you very much, Grace. Uh, Nehemiah. Is uh, Jewish and writes in to say, I enjoyed the discussion recently. Uh, If you asked most Jews today about whether Jews, Muslims, and Christians all worship the same God, most would respond that Jews and Muslims certainly worship the same God, but it's unclear whether Christians do. I recently heard a prominent rabbi speak in Jerusalem on just this topic. I happen to believe Jews and Christians do share a common God and have been heavily criticized by some of my fellow Jews for that. I was surprised that Nabil kept referring to some hypothetical first century philo type Jewish binitarian theology in order to justify why Jews worship the same God as Christians. I've never encountered this Philonic theology in modern day non-Messianic Judaism. It seemed like Nabil was seeking fellowship with some non-extant Jewish straw man in order to contrast the Judeo-Christian God with the Islamic God. While a triune God is unknown in modern day Judaism Kabbalist Jews do believe in a Ten-in-one deity. Uh, would Nabil accept that Kabbalists worship the same god as his triune god? Um, and you say you look at this issue from a Tanakh, Old Testament perspective. The Israelites in the desert looked at the golden calf and proclaimed that it was the god who took them out of Egypt, celebrating a festival to Yehovah in its presence. Rather than worshipping a different god, they were perverting the worship of the true god Jehovah by worshipping him according to their own rituals rather than the ways he commanded them. In Hebrew, this is called avoda zara, usually translated as idolatry but literally meaning strange worship which does not necessarily imply worshipping a different deity. Anyway, thank you very much. Um, Interesting thoughts from you, Nehemiah. Uh, Thanks for emailing in. Maybe time for one more. Let's go for... This one uh, from Andrew says, um, it's sad to see a question such as this has caused so much chaos and disunity within the body of Christ. Very often, the reason a question is difficult to answer is because there's something wrong with the question. In this case, the problem is that it's ambiguous. It could have the following different meanings. Do Christians and Muslims recognise that there's one supreme being who created the universe and who revealed to certain persons mentioned the Old Testament, such as Adam, Noah, Abraham and Moses, and they intend to give glory to this being? Or secondly, do Christians and Muslims recognise that the one supreme being being who created the universe is a trinity, three divine persons in the one being of God. And do they intend to give glory to this being? Well, if the first is meant, then the answer is clearly yes. Christians and Muslims do worship the same God. If the second is meant then the answer is clearly no because Muslims deny the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, Thank you very much Um, but uh, other responses came in, no time to read them all I'm afraid but thanks for your interest in that programme and great to have your feedback on it. Uh, For the moment thank you very much for joining me on the programme today Uh, a reminder that if you want to check out the Unbelievable Discussion group it's happening in London on Monday the 14th of March and uh, the subject this time is the problem Of evil again. So, if you enjoyed today's program, you might enjoy the discussion going on there. Um, Details available from the Unbelievable Christian and Skeptic discussion group on meetup.com. For the moment, thank you for being with me on Unbelievable today. Let me tell you what's coming up same time next week. You're unbelievable. We're asking, should Christians save sex until marriage? Well, we'll be meeting a Christian who doesn't believe that's necessarily the case. Uh, Diane E. Anderson has written a book on the whole issue and we'll be hearing from a different point of view, a more traditional perspective as well. That's next week on the programme. Hope you can join me then. Do join me again if you can stick around between four and five for the profile next.